1: I believe uh I stayed up in that hospital all night long in pain to a degree um but psychologically broken uh blaming myself believing that I should have been that person I should be the one that can't breathe or I I should it should have been me there not the other way around and um I remember that night experiencing
2: In five, four, three, two, one. What's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. We are in the OG studio today. We have a very uh, special guest. He's a homie I've known for quite a while now. Met him through our buddy Bart Kwan. He was training Bart to be a boxer. Let's go. We got coach PJ in the house. You may have seen him from Fight Camp videos. He is probably your online coach that gets you through the day, gets your fitness going, gets that heart rate up and sets your mood right for the rest of the week. Coach PJ in the house, everybody. Ooh, wow, what an intro, David. My gosh, bro. You do that for everybody? Everybody, oh, I man. feel so special and loved right now.
0: Wow,
2: this is great. You know, the, the, the good thing of what I really like about my podcast is that, you know, some people will ask me, oh, can you get this person on? And I go, listen, I don't know him. Oh, I don't yeah, give um, a fuck, I don't fuck don't. about him. <laughs> That's real, like, <laughs> but you know me. You yeah, know me, so so I feel like there's so many in- interesting stories out there that you, you know. And when when people reach a certain level like notoriety, you could hear their story elsewhere, right? Oh, yeah, of course. And I think people generally like my interview <gasps> style because it's very casual. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like you guys have to understand, like we're gonna have like an hour to an hour and a half conversation. I actually have to care about the subject matter at hand. it helps to know the why behind the what and to have some involvement from the heart, you know? Yeah, and I got to sit here and listen to this shit. So,
0: <laughs> you know, yeah.
2: if, I'm, if I'm here just to interview somebody just for other people's entertainment sake, which is fine because this is a, you know, a platform for entertainment, mm-hmm. but I still got to keep it to my roots where I, I do things because I enjoy it. So- uh, I love that. I love that. What a lot of people may not know about you, which is what I'm curious about, which I don't even know this backstory at all, is that you are actually, so once again, just to refresh, boxing. This is, this is this man's world. But before boxing was football. It was. And you know, we were talking about this before uh, we started this podcast where I was talking to you about me watching this Oscar De La Hoya interview and hearing him talk about the transition that he has to go to in his life outside of boxing, mm-hmm. right? And hearing him talk about it, he sounds like he has no purpose and a reason to live. <sighs> yeah. And that shit always fucks me up a little bit because I think I've, I've been in that place before. Me where too. i've i've had to make shifts not because i wanted to but because i had to yeah and sometimes when people identify their whole being with their career and their job they think that this is the end all be all for their whole life Um, mm. uh, i had a conversation with uh my wife about this where you know for her she's always challenging herself 24 7 and that's what i really love and appreciate about her Good. and so sometimes when she's you know in this mode and this early on in her career, she kept on nitpicking at these, these, uh, these jobs and these career opportunities that she has as she was trying to find fulfillment through her job. Mm. And basically what I was explaining to her is because I heard this from somebody else and it really affected me was, a, f- a straight sentence, your career is not your life. Your career will have to end one day. Because mm-hmm. So let's say you retire, right? What do you do then? Do you just contemplate life and you have nothing to look forward to? You know." not everybody gets to pick and choose what they want. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. have to deal with the cards that you're dealt with and then you create opportunities through that. And so when I saw this with like that Oscar De La Hoya interview and I've seen other fighters like Mike Tyson and everybody else where they had to do this like career change, but your story is a little different. You were a a football player, right? right? And you went from football and having to switch into boxing I want to know how that happened. Let's start from like where you grew up, your whole story. Oh man! So, so where do we begin? Where do we begin?
1: <laughs> I, 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 we'll, we'll start off with uh, where I begin. My origin story starts in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, you see, I'm repping. I was actually <laughs> born and raised in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania, a little small suburb outside of Philly. But you know, we rep Philadelphia all day, every day, 24, seven, 365, <laughs> baby. <laughs> but yeah. it is it is the, the, the place where all of my family still lives today. Um, I've been very fortunate and blessed to now live here on the best coast in mm-hmm, sunny mm-hmm, Southern mm-hmm. California. Um, but I, my my origins are, are back in the East Coast. Um, beautiful mother and father, uh, unfortunately didn't have the best start at a home where my mother and father divorced really early on. Um, and, you know, my mom did an amazing job of raising me and my younger sister by herself. Um, but all of that kind of changed and, you know, January 27th, 1997, my father was murdered um, Uh at a bar in Philadelphia, um, believe it or not. How how old were you? I was eight years old. I was eight at the time or seven going on eight. And it was probably the first point in, in my life where my life was changed forever, where I didn't realize it at the time that my dad was gone and I was never going to have a relationship with him. I was never going to get to go to his house anymore. I was never going to get to learn how to be a man from him. And and I didn't understand it fully. And, and that definitely had a lot of, of pain and a lot of deep wounds that I'm still unpacking even to this day. Um, but I definitely am grateful now for the life that I have had since it because my mother did, again, an incredible job. She took the mantle and decided that I'm going to raise these kids right. She did everything that in her path to sacrifice, uh, to learn, to grow. She ended up, you know, taking on multiple jobs. She ended up graduating from college, she ended up going to uh, an Ivy League school, went to the University of Penn, got another degree, uh, started a business all that's, while raising two kids by that's herself. fucking wild. <laughs> she was a boss. And, and I, I give my mother all the credit where credit's due because she's a great woman. And did an incredible job raising two incredible people. I'll talk about my sister at some point because she's a boss in her own rights. But um, mom holding it down for us uh, all of those years. And while she was doing that, you know, she got me involved in some sports, you know. Didn't have a, a lot of uh, father figures around and a lot of great men in my life. So she put me uh, on, the, on the sports. So I played soccer, uh, got involved with some football early on and so got to get really close to coaches and they really helped and mentored me a lot. Um, so I picked up football probably around like 10 or 11, but it wasn't like I was playing, you know, every single week. I wasn't in all these kinds of leagues. It wasn't until like high school, freshman year of high school that I started to like start to really like football. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is fun. You know, I'm I'm tall. I'm fast. I can play both sides of the ball. Let me, let me, let me invest a little bit into this. So um, freshman year, I went to Monsignor Bonner High School right outside of Philadelphia. And uh, it was a, a interesting experience going to an all boys Catholic school, but your boy learned how to play football. And I started to really excel at it. And I, I started to love it. And it wasn't just one of those things where I was like, oh, you know, I'm cool with this, but there's, there's growth. There's a place where I know I can be better at. And even Early on in high school, I would watch college football almost religiously. Like I used to love University Mm. of Miami. And around that time, University of Miami was like the best football in all of the nation. Mm. They had some of the greatest players of all time: Sean Taylor, Ed Reed, Kellen Winslow, this this, everybody played in Miami. And I was like, these guys are so good and so fast. How do they get fast? How they get fast and strong. And from from then, I kind of like morphed into really learning about how to train as an athlete. Even from 12, 13 years old, I started to like do some research and see, oh, I should get some professional help. Like I should actually get people that know how to do this involved in my life. And mm. I think sophomore year, my mom actually made a huge sacrifice and investment in for me and hired a strength conditioning coach. So in high school, I started to take this sport really serious. I didn't take my grades as super serious, but I did enough so that I could still play. Um, and maintain that like BC average. But the strength conditioning uh, coaching that I got helped improve my athletic ability tenfold. I mean, like I was a whole new player every two months, every every three months I would continue to evolve. And I was like really young and experiencing growths and having a growth mindset. And I was like, dude, this is really cool. So um, developed a great relationship with my strength conditioning coach and he helped me continue to put the tools together mm. to to be in that elite class that I could get recognition around the country. Um, then I'd say around my junior year, I said, "I'm like almost done in high school. Like I'm not going to college to become an engineer or a scientist, or you know, I, I want to play football." Like I set a goal to play football, and I wanted to do it for free. I had seen the sacrifice, the hard work. And, and the willingness that my mother gave to make sure I succeeded, and I wanted to pay her back tenfold. So I wanted to go to college for free, and I knew that if I put my effort in here, it'll pay off in the long run. Hmm. So my junior year, I went all in in the off season, and then I balled out that year. I played both ways, I became you know first in the league, and I started to get attention nationally. I started getting some college offers and letters, um, started to actually get my name out there. I didn't get Miami or USC on the radar yet, but you, know, once a lot of those bigger D1 schools started to call, I was like, "Oh, this, this is working." You know You start seeing Virginia and Penn State, Michigan State. You start seeing these big schools, Stanford. they actually are willing and want to meet me and give me college tuition. I was like, "This is money. This is great." All yeah, right, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Um, but even at that age, I remember wanting what I wanted. I was like, this is cool. I still want a scholarship from University of Miami. So um, in the summer, going into my senior year, they do these like combined camps and whatnot, and uh, where they bring college scouts out and they let kids do their test and play seven-on-seven seven and just show out the skills. And I went there, did you know, vertical jump, jump like 46, skip the 40. I was like, let me just do these drills and fall out on these kids, you know. Oh, I see the scout that I know, keep your eyes on me. I go out there seven on sevens and go do some one handed catches come down on one and I hear my knee go oh my god so I'm in the middle of the field and I just realized like I I can't I can't move this knee and I hobble my butt off to the sidelines and um try to to sneak to the the car to to get away from here so the news wouldn't spread but uh some of the scouts had saw that an injury occurred and uh, then the following Monday, I remember, I think about like 107 colleges offered scholarships, all of them off the table. Only three colleges were still committed to me after the word that I had toured my ACL. And that was uh, University of Akron, Temple University in Philadelphia, and then West Virginia University in Morgantown, West Virginia. So I was hurt, had to go through ACL reconstruction surgery and was you know sidelined my entire senior year of football But I still had those scholarships and, you know, talking to a mentor of mine and my strength conditioning coach, my family, we made the decision, you know, to go to West Virginia and to sign with them. And I remember like it was yesterday, man, signed a college letter of intent, had a big, you know, signing day thing at my college, at my high school. And then July 1st of uh, 2007, I was set to go off to West Virginia to start my football career. And it was... One of the greatest things ever, you know, getting to where I wanted to be setting in a, setting a goal and then
2: planning for that goal and then executing it. It was incredible. So for you, right. And and I always say this because, you know, we, we hear this, this constant narrative of like how important it is to have like a, a, you know, a a two parent unit family. Right. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like your mom took the mantle of both like father and mother for you? Or did you have another male figure in your life that helped you? along the way. I
1: had a lot of uncles that that came around, I will say, and and family friends of my mother's. Um, they were close and and there were some great valuable lessons I picked up from them. But my mother was the primary force in my life. And she was the one that provided, protected as she looked out for me. However, I will say with a caveat today, knowing and now especially now being a father, that that my mother could only do so much. There's only so much in her abilities to teach a person to be who they are called to be. And specifically with being a man, I I, I do look back on and I'm grateful for the ways that she did teach me and the, the lessons I've learned. Um, but I know also my life would be so different if my father was around. I could have learned a lot of different skills that I've had to pick up on later on in life. So um, would I have changed the way my life would be? Honestly, no. I, I really think all of the things that have happened to me happened for a reason and a purpose. And a lot of times I don't ever get to know what that is. I can look back in hindsight and see how that mm-hmm. season or that that struggle challenged me or taught me something. Um, I'll even take a, a quote from Jalen Hurts yesterday, losing, You know, there's you you win or you get a lesson learned. And and you know, sometimes those lessons that are learned hurt. They are painful, they can be challenging and even scarring. And um, you know, I look back on my life in hindsight and I'm like, I'm really grateful. The way that God has used these things to shift me and to mold me, and I know I'd be a totally different person if I had my father around and my mother wasn't that primary person, or you know, she might not have even gone to an Ivy League school or started a business. What do
2: you? So you, your father, you know, he passed away when he was when you were eight. So, mm-hmm. what do you remember of him? Uh, my dad was a gentle, loving man. Um, ironically, I got to have
1: my dad in, in the last years of his life. Um, he had already. You know, had two previous marriages and had two other kids. So I, I have a brother and sister mm-hmm. who I love very much and uh, get to still do life with them. Um, but he was a, a nice, awesome man. I just keep saying nice because that's the thing that I'll always see. he was gentle, kind, uh, lowly in heart. He would literally—I mean, I think the last few years of his life, he became a pescatarian and mm-hmm. tried to stop drinking beer and stop smoking cigarettes. And he was just trying to change his life and do better. Um, and and I remember that, that he would do whatever it would to, to make sure that I was happy in the times that I had them, so. You know
2: what's interesting, like, I think well, we don't really think about this until we get older, where mm-hmm. um, when I was younger, I, I remember my parents would talk about how important it is to have a strong family unit, right? And for some reason, as a kid, whenever your parents tell you something, you always, I don't know if it's like me being like this, this kid with the chip on my shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. Like this young, like you always think the worst of sometimes the things that your parents say. So I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, people who don't have like a strong structured family, they're still good people. That's not yeah. what they were saying. But you, know, as a kid, you're <laughs> so defensive. You just want to argue with everything. Yeah. And then what they were trying to tell me now that I'm older is like there are things that happen to you when you are younger within your family life that will affect you as an adult, whether it's good or it's bad. Mm-hmm. Right. So these things are some things that you should think about when you you know end up having your family or you have a kid. Like how how these factors will affect the next generation that 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 comes up with. And I didn't realize that stuff until, you know, honestly, probably even like seven or eight years ago where yeah. um, a lot of my interpersonal relationships with like men and women who grew mm-hmm. up in really kind of fucked up family lives that I knew about, right? And I start seeing these odd behaviors that are similar with every person that didn't grow up with certain figures in their lives, right? A That's lot so. of my female friends who didn't grow up with the male figure in their life, they all went through the, And I want to say all because I really think (laughs) of like six or seven of them. Yeah. Same issue, right? Where all of us as friends have had this conversation with them, where they had this perception and a view of what a man is when they never had a stable man in their life. Mm right? This is what a man is supposed to do. Yeah. This is what men should do. And, you know, it's like, where did you get this from? Right. <laughs> you know, don't you read that? What, <laughs> what TV show did you see this example from? Exactly. Like the idea of men being, you know, vulnerable mm-hmm. that, you know, having these times of weakness where, you know, we, we can't take care of everything. We are not, we are partners here. I am right. not your father. Yes. And this is, this is like a shift that a lot of them later on, some of them did, some of them didn't. Right. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to say their names, but yeah. let's call her Jenny, all right? Mm. So my friend Jenny too, we actually, I wouldn't say it was an argument, but it was a disagreement. And she gets very sensitive about the subject because mm. she has gone cycled through so many relationships with men. And I And I asked her because she was dating one of my good friends okay. and they broke up. And when they broke up, she was crying to me about the guy or whatever because I actually kind of hooked them up together. And I knew where he was coming from because he's my good friend. And she... I realized with with her, what she was equating, um, what she wanted out of a man was more of what she wanted out of a father. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, hey. so I, I was like, What what didn't you like about I don't know his name is Billy or something? What didn't you like about Billy? Right. Don't throw him under the bus. Don't throw him on the bus. <laughs> yeah. So she was like, Well, like I did everything for him. Like I, okay. you know, I cooked, I cleaned, all these like traditional tropes right. you see of what it means to be a strong woman, right? Mm-hmm. But I knew what Billy wanted out of a partner and he wanted an equal. He wanted somebody who was motivated that will wake up with the goal in mind. Yeah. And what she wanted was listen, I want you to go out there, make money and make all this money in the world so I could just sit at home and you know I'll like suck your dick or whatever the fuck it is it's like listen (laughs) and the funny thing was is that she didn't know that right and Mm -hmm. when I was talking to him and what he told me was was yeah she equated her being a a good partner to me by like oh whenever you want to have sex we'll have sex or you'll cook me some type of meal he goes I can go buy food right I want to know the the last argument Mm -hmm. that they had was Hey, like, what are your plans? What are you gonna do today? You know, you probably do have plans, but like, what's the thing that makes you tick? What's the thing that? Mm. The only thing she responded to after him was like, "Don't ever fucking question what I fucking do." Like, I'm a self sufficient woman. Blah 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 blah. And he goes, whoa. Whoa, whoa, "Whoa!" And then he kind of he broke up with her after that. I understand, <laughs> and it, I clearly understand, and it wrecked her. And then our conversation was like, listen, I know him and I heard about the argument that you had. And she, and she explained the argument the same way he did, but how she feels about it was different. Uh, she was, can you believe him? I was like, yeah, I believe him. I was like, you, you are equating your value as a woman. It's, it's very interesting. Like hmm. we are in a time now where we have partnerships that are mutually beneficial, right? Hmm. When you value yourself as a woman as like, oh, I suck dick really good, blah, 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 blah. Cool, that's fine. That's a that's a bonus. That's, that's a great yeah, attribute. Oh, cool. that's great. That's not what he wanted in a partner. Mm-hmm. And what he wants in a partner is what he sees out of his house or what he saw his mom do. She was she was a woman that sucked no, it. Number she was <laughs> she was, <laughs> she, uh, she ran her business with her husband, mm-hmm. but she held shit down in the house and the dad it was something mutual. Mm-hmm. You wanted to fulfill a part that albeit you will find a man that appreciates that out of you. But it wasn't what he wanted, right. right? But once again, she was saying that he's not a man, blah 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 blah. Yeah. Like he doesn't want to provide for me, and I'm like, oh, this is this is where the difference is. And I saw the mm-hmm. same trope with like five or six other homegirls who also grew up with fathers who went to prison, wow. uh, fathers who left them before they even knew who they were. So their identity of what what a man is was a little is something they had to create in their head rather than the personal experience that they grew up with at home. Love that, well, you know,
1: put, man. Well, I think also again the, the expectations there. We're, were clearly not communicated in, in a relationship yeah, there's like something that.
2: obviously I don't know the relationship yeah. to that personal extent but it was interesting hearing two of the two same stories yeah. two different interpretations
1: mm-hmm. hey listen that's the cool part about and and I, I love all people and I can respect everybody's opinion we're all entitled to them um, but again like I said earlier man like people's opinions sometimes will have consequences and again if you don't communicate what your expectation is in a relationship in in a job place there's going to be a a gap in between where you might fall short where there will be some feelings that come in the way of what the facts are and i'm 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 big on communicating the expectation and um i really am grateful for my spouse my me and my wife have really huge communication expectations for our relationship and it works out and um i didn't get a chance to see that with my mother and my father and it's it's a miracle to me somehow that um at least My wife says this, that I'm a, I'm a great husband and a great dad. And I didn't get to see either of those things really take place. Not only in my, my, my father, my mother, but even in the people around, I didn't have, um, a a perfect, again, there's no perfect parent. There's no perfect father, no perfect man. However, uh, just seeing people that are doing good and trying is is a great benefit for a young person to witness and to have that experience. Um, and uh, you know, To my mother's credit, I got to see what a great woman does and a great business person and someone that will position themselves to have options and do everything to sacrifice for their children. And and that is, you know, priceless. I'm so grateful for that. Um, But, you know, again, life would be so different if if everybody had the perfect mother and father at home. (laughs) If everybody grew up in a two-parent home, maybe our world would be different. But uh, I know that that's not the way the world is, and I'm not going to expect. The world to change right now for yeah, them. Yeah. So.
2: And I and I think like the real positive thing is like, you know, once again with the with the few of those homegirls who, you know, who've had like that not having that male figure in their life, mm-hmm. later on as they went through therapy, they figured out like, okay, maybe my expectation of what I expect out of a man is a little, you know, far fetched. Right? Different. Yeah. And so um. Yeah. They, the the ability to kind of look what look at what you lack in your life and to kind of change it is mm-hmm. is a good ability to have, right? Because mm-hmm. none of us are nowhere near being perfect, mm-hmm. right? So I, I always find it to be a red flag when somebody says, "Hey." Um, this might be a problem that we have in the media. It's like, fuck you. It's like, oh, mm. hold on a second. You mm-hmm. know, if it's somebody that you care about that you guys want to have a good relationship with, it, it would be a good idea for you to hear themselves out. Right. And mm. I used to have this quality, like I just mentioned, when I was younger. And even now with my relationship with my wife, sometimes, like, when her feelings are hurt because of the things that I say, because, you know, I'm a clown, I joke around a lot. You and do. i and i forget sometimes she, you know she's not a boy <laughs> you know, so. sometimes these jokes they, they, they will hurt and they, yeah, they, they can cut <laughs> they, they they cut deep and i look at her and then she's upset or mm. i look at her like how i look at some of the guys like when they yeah. say something stupid i'm like what the fuck are you talking about right. but i can't talk to her that way mm-hmm. and then you know that happened the other day where i looked at her, i was like i don't make any fucking sense what are you talking about and she goes you look at me really disrespectfully and i'm like do want to be like that. <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, oh, I'm not. She goes, you just did it again. I did it again. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, you're doing it right now. And I had to stop and think. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm talking to her like she's like one of the boys. Mm-hmm. And then I have to say I'm sorry. And I apologize. Oh, that's so good, man. And those are words that I never heard in my household. And so even mm. then for me, it's hard to say it. But I know. That if I feel it, I should express it. Yeah. Because it's my pride and my ego getting in the way. So good, bro. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's such a growth mindset to have. And it's, it's and I'm telling you, it's hard. Like you don't grow up hearing people say, I'm sorry. Nope. Or I love you. Or, or hey, I love yeah, you. The, or this this was my fault.
1: What? So crazy. Or the, that offended me, but I still love you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's I'll I'll be, you know, downright, I'll honestly say it like after my father passing away, I, I remember years, years in my life that I struggled with anger. I struggled mm. with unforgiveness, not only at the person who murdered him, uh, but even like to God, like, why would you take my dad away? Like, you know, I was one of those young people that I'm like, yo, if God is good. Like, why would bad things happen? Like n- now I know bad things happen all the time to all people and it's going to be okay. Sometimes really bad things end up working for good in the long run,
2: Mm-mm. I think. Mm.
1: Uh, Tragedy sometimes ends up bringing a lot of hope in the long run. There's things that get turned around from terrible situations and circumstances that end up being some of the greatest things in people's lives. Um, and again, like me tearing my ACL the first time was, was a, <laughs> okay. the first time, right <laughs> segue right back to that yeah. trash, uh, tearing my ACL the first time was damaging to me as a young teenager that wanted to do something and go somewhere. And then that opportunity was stopped. Couldn't do it. In hindsight, now it's the best decision that ever could have happened for me. Not going to a place where, A, I would have never played. I was never going to play at Miami or USC. Uh, And then B, I probably would have had a terrible experience and I would not be where I'm at today. Um, And also, again, tearing your ACL the first time prepares you for the second time. uh, Because once I got to college and, you know, played uh, through one whole entire summer of training and getting ready for the season, tore my ACL in the last practice. Get the fuck out of here. Girl. Same knee, uh, similar situation. Going up in the air, trying to catch the ball, coming down, landing improperly, tearing it. Uh, so I had to go through a second surgery in college. Um, and then, then I thought I was done. I thought I was. I thought I was done. You know, two ACLs recover. Cool. Went through the reconstructive surgery. Went through all the rehab. Nine months later back on the field, doctors give you the clearance, they give me the go ahead, go do your thing, go hustle. You know, In the time, my college and my uh, my coaches were still kind, caring, they still took me in and still saw me as a project to work on for years and being an asset, so they kept my scholarship. They had faith in me and my work ethic to get back to not only 100%, but to be better than I was prior to that. Um, and then I get out, go through a whole spring training and on the very last practice of the very last workout, I my ACL the third time. So three times I, I had my right
2: ACL. Do you just tore. feel at a certain point, God is just like, listen, I can't keep giving you signs. <laughs> this is not for you. Like, this, 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 is, like, this is not your <laughs> path, yo, okay? Listen, I tore your ACL three <laughs> times. And if you still don't get it by now. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I guess I'm a little hardheaded.
1: You know, uh, my mom says that I didn't get the humble gene and I'm hardheaded sometimes and, uh, maybe I can't take a sign sometimes, but uh, after tearing it the third time, uh, I will say that's when m- my life changed really, really tragically in a sense. Um, you know, losing my father was one, uh, tearing the ACL and, you know, not being able to play the thing that you love and have just dedicated the last 10 years of your Can life you a little
2: closer to you? Yeah. yeah.
1: Taking the last 10 years of my life to just dedicate to football and it not being a part of my life was tr- was hard. It was yeah. hard for me to deal with. Um, but then I I would say I didn't get to go to the bowl game. Um, they played in the Meineke Car care bowl that year, I think against North Carolina. And I got to go back to back home. It was cool. I got to spend time with my family and experience Christmas and, and things were going well. And then January 9th, 2009, driving back to West Virginia with a friend of mine from high school who had gone to the same college with me. Uh, we were just going back to our school. Um, about an hour and a half outside of West Virginia in Maryland. Uh, we were driving along the highway. I think it was the 710, 705. And um, I started to drive on some ice and my car started to slide on the highway about 300 yards. And I don't really have too much control, but I'm, I'm trying to slow it down. And we literally crash into an embankment on the hill. Um, me and my friend, we look at each other and we're fine. We're like, oh, that was a miracle. We called the police. We called our parents. I called AAA because once we got out the car, we saw that the only damage that had happened was my tire had been knocked off the rim. So I was like, call the tow truck. We'll be back to campus in like two hours. No problem. Um, I look at my friend and we're standing outside of my truck, um, you know, on the side of the highway. And I just remember looking at him like, wow, that's crazy. That, that just happened. And then that was, that was the last thing that I remember. Um, a, a vehicle slid on the same patch of ice and then had hit me, hit my friend, and then hit my car. And I was knocked unconscious. When I, when I woke up- Hold uh, on, you were outside of the car or inside the car? We were outside of the car. And you got hit by a car? Got hit by a car.
2: Get the fuck out of here.
1: I actually, I, I, man, I, I, it's a miracle that I'm, I'm alive. And I'll, I'll say, you know, I, I don't understand how things work and why, but- um. I, I had got hit so hard. I had my iPhone in my front pocket. And this is like, thank, thank God we called the police and we called our parents at that moment because when I woke up, I no longer had shoes on. I no longer had socks on. The, my phone that was in my pocket in my front, I tried to pull it out and the iPhone literally was bent around my quad like this. So the iPhone smashed, broken. I wouldn't have been able to call and communicate to anybody. Um, I see glass, I see fire, debris, our car and our luggage is just scattered all throughout the highway. Um, And then my friend was eight inches away from my face, face down on the side of the hill, um, barely breathing. And I saw the car that had hit us. He was now facing oncoming traffic and he couldn't get out of his vehicle. Uh, So in that moment, uh, in some sort of panic, uh, I ended up rolling my friend over, giving him CPR until he could breathe again. Um, I, I, he was yelling at the person who had hit us to, to call for help, call the police. And I just remember him yelling that he couldn't, he was stuck. He couldn't get out. And then I like just hobble up onto my feet and I'm stumbling through glass and I just see his door bent all the way in. And then I just grab him and pull him through the window. Um, and then run back over to my friend and, um, Just then, the police pulled up from the first time we called. They showed up. Um, One of the officers helped stabilize my friend, bring him down, and then they called the paramedics.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well,
2: my lovely genius brain farts this podcast is brought to you by fume ever tried to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing everest and flip-flops yeah we've been there too but here's a breath of fresh air fume it's not about giving up it's about switching up baby fume takes your habit and simply makes it better healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. What is Fume, you ask? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy that makes replacing your bad habit easy. I keep one in my car just because I'm a fidgety guy. And guess what? I'd be puffing on that delicious herbal tea vapor, my friend friends, nothing bad for you in there. And definitely, definitely fun to use. My friends, start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash genius and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code genius to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash genius to save 10% off the journey pack today. Hey all, it's David So. And if you want to listen to Genius Brain without ads, now you can. Just go to geniusbrain.supercast.com or click the link in the episode description and you can get a one-week preview of the ad-free version for free. You'll get ad-free listening to the show. You can listen on almost any podcasting app and you'll be supporting my show too. That's geniusbrain.supercast.com. Thanks.
1: Paramedics came and took him to the hospital. Um... And then, and then they dealt with me and the other person who had hit us. Um, I was was fine by all accounts, as far as injuries go. Um, had some bruising, some scarring here and there. Um, but my friend had, uh, I think, a broken elbow, broken arm. He had a a really bad wound in the back of his head, and he was bleeding. And um, they ended up taking him to John Hopkins. Um, we were in the hospital together that night for a little bit, and, um, and then they... Transported him to another place, I believe. Uh, I stayed up in that hospital all night long in pain to a degree, um, but psychologically bro- broken, uh, blaming myself, believing that I should have been that person. I should be the one that can't breathe, or I, I should, it should have been me there, not the other way around. And um, I remember that night experiencing symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and oh, yeah. nightmares and terrors. And, um, you know, about two weeks later on that, two weeks from that, that incident, my, my friend unfortunately passed away. And um, that's when uh, my life, I remember, uh, changed. That, that season of darkness and pain uh, like engulfed me. And I experienced, worst depression of my life. I experienced night terrors all day long. I ended up actually uh, in that season trying to, you know, be normal. And I just couldn't. I I remember uh, just trying to drown the pain in in any way I could possible. And months and months and months of of struggle and Eventually it was like, I couldn't even keep my focus in class. And I literally went from you know, like a 3.8 student to failing every single class. I failed every single class. I was not, I wasn't there. I was yeah, a shell yeah. of who I was as a, as a human being. And um, man, yeah, that, that car accident changed my life and uh, changed the lives of a lot of people. Um, but, but now again, I just look behind sight, it's 2020 and you can see change and fruit. I'm so grateful for
2: um, being alive. Do you, do you ever look back at that situation and think like, you know, cause you said earlier that, you know, you felt like it should have been you instead. What made you think that? I was
1: the, the older one. I was the one driving. Uh, I, I, me and me and my friend had drove plenty of times. We had taken that trip like eight to nine times. Like we had done a lot of time and, I was always driving. I was always caring for this kid and like taking care of his needs. And the fact that again, that like his family entrusted me to take him to back to school, you know, I was like, I just felt responsible. I felt guilty. I felt like if anyone should have been tragically injured in that at night, it should have been me. Um, You know, I I couldn't have controlled that person that hit us. Um, We thought we were safe. We thought we were doing the right thing. And uh, you know, it it wasn't, you know, you're never prepared for a tragedy. You never prepared for incidents like this. And I, as a young kid, being in a hospital bed and hearing your friend being worked on by multiple physicians, just with a curtain next to you, and they're looking at you like, how, how are you and him in the same, same thing? How are you in the same incident? This doesn't make any, I couldn't make any sense of it that I looked down and I just see a few scratches, scrapes, scars, but nothing broken, nothing hurt here. Like I'm physically still here. Uh, my friend's unconscious. And so that was a really tough thing for me to hear and to fight through. Was he also an athlete too? He he played football on the same team with me in high school, but he did not, he was an athlete in college. He, he was a, a regular student, a good regular student. And um, I, I am, you know, he's always in my heart and forever. And uh, he's one of the reasons why I did eventually get back to school and get my, excuse me, get my scholarship and graduate um, in his memory and honor. And, you know, it is, you know, even bringing up the story still brings pain. It still brings hurt. Yeah, man, um, that's intense. It was, it was, and um, yeah, I would love to say that uh, the story was all cheery and happy and, and the months after that, I started getting the therapy I needed and recovery was smooth and it wasn't. It was years of struggle, trial, of uh, getting help and having um, the vulnerability uh, to get out and to actually reach out for help and to start seeing a therapist, to start letting people know that I was dealing with some really dark stuff for a long time. And uh, now I can see that, that it was a, a season in my life that, that grew me and has helped me to be able to overcome adversity in a lot of ways because um, even after losing my scholarship after that season, you know, I, I fought for that. I had to go through um, a lot of appeal courts because the university didn't want to renew my scholarship anymore. And they're like, you're done G because you got to keep up the grades and you got to be an athlete. You know, I had to go through so many rings and uh, hoops to actually Fight for West Virginia University to give me back my scholarship, and I finally was able to. And they gave me my full ride back, and I was able to finish the last two and a half years of college and graduate with a sports exercise psychology degree. Um, But yeah, it it was a a step in in the story of my life, and I'm excited to now share with
2: with you and with with
1: people all around the world about it. Man, you know, it's so interesting because, like,
2: you know, for you, you and your case. Like I'm always curious about people who like how how does that transition happen, right? Because, you know, we we mentioned this before the podcast was recording, how there is a certain rhetoric that's happening now with a lot of young people because mm. social media is full of young people's thoughts, right? And when you're young, you have to understand we were I in, in my twenties and my teens, I was a full-blown fucking idiot. Everything that yes. I thought and felt was facts, whether mm-hmm. it was feelings or not, you know? And Sometimes when you have a whole group of people that kind of push that narrative that you're trying to push, even when it's wrong at the moment, you feel like you're always right, right? So, you know, for you as a young person to go through that and kind of push yourself out of this type of adversity that a lot of people don't feel, right? Mm -hmm. They don't experience these type of crazy things. And like, I'm curious in in your perspective of how you were able to, shift yourself and not blame your circumstance for where you're at now because it's Mm -hmm. very easy because i've done that at a young age right Mm -hmm. where i'm like okay if i if only i had a little more money if i wasn't so fucking poor if i wasn't this this and that i would never be in these situations right in your case i mean you lost your father your father was murdered um your your mother had a had to take the reins and, and raise you you had your you've you focused your life through your mother's positive influence and even then through that focus you had the injury that was taken that, that got taken from you. You you recollected yourself, and then you got injured again, yeah. and then you got injured again, and then this happened. So, how did you compartmentalize all this stuff and somehow shift yourself into being the person you are now? Mm, very good. Um, you, you you can't always a little bit, you think, can't yeah.
1: always yeah. deal. Uh, you, you can't actually control the hand that you're dealt in life. And I think from a young age and losing my father, I I, exper- I found that out. Oh, like I want to have my dad. Uh, but like he's, he's actually not coming back. Like, cool. So I'm experiencing dissonance here with what I want and what I'm actually seeing in life and realizing, yo, like, I don't play the, you don't control everything, but how you handle the situation is, is a huge testament to who you are as a person. And I've learned to realize I'm not going to control everything or every person, but I can control my effort. I can control my mannerisms. I can be upset and angry or, or offended, but I, I still have to show up. I still have things to do. I still have responsibilities. And, you know, I, I will again say, like my mother taught me very much, well, as a young child to be responsible, to do the things that you have to do before to do the things that you want to do. Mm. And that just kind of stuck with me all the time. Like, yeah, I want to play football, but right now I, I can't, I'm hurt. I got to patiently put myself in a position. Um, I, I understood like, I. It'd be nice if I had more money it'd be nice if I was faster or taller or I was less prone to injury, but I can't do that. So if I still want to be successful, I still want to accomplish things, I'm gonna have to navigate and shift and change uh, the trajectory of my life right now. And I think most of it comes from the perspective of your mind. Everything starts here. Uh, And if you can shift your perspective of what's actually happening, you can do a lot with it. You know, like I said, if you see a loss as just, oh, this was a loss, this was a failure, and your mindset goes to that, you're going to take it as a failure and you're not going to actually grow or evolve from that. But if you take these things and you see, this is this is a moment for me to grasp what I did wrong and then change it to what I want to do right. Here's a moment where I fell short here. What can I do to improve myself on the next day, the next month, the next year? And I think having a mindset of always wanting to be better is, is hopefully again, everybody would have that. If you want to keep getting better, you won't let adversity. You won't let failures. You won't let these losses take you out for so long. Now I'll be real. When, when the car accident happened, when I went through that, that terrible season in my life, I didn't have a positive outlook on life. I wasn't growing. I was actually shrinking back. I was dying. I was, I was literally doing everything I could to kill myself. I think Yeah. between food, alcohol, drugs, like I, I was not living and trying to numb everything i out. was trying to numb any kind of pain because again like i would be in the middle of class and then i'll just close my i wouldn't even close my eyes i would just look over to the right and then i remember like a vivid hd 4k 180 video replay of that night would happen and i would like freak out and panic and like i'd like run out having a panic attack wow and i i can't lie and say that you know it it took me days or weeks it it was Months and years of work and actually having to be in those in that darkness, Um, and you know, I really I really credit God to pulling me out of that. Like I remember getting saved in that season of my life, praying and saying, "God, if if you're real, show up." Like putting God to the test about if He's good and whatnot. And again, I don't want to get into a, a too deep topic about religion, but I truly believe that God works all things for a purpose. And again, we don't need to know what the purpose is. Ultimately, if we do our job, if we're diligent, if we are good stewards of our time, our talent, and our treasure, uh, we'll be rewarded for that. And sometimes, it's not the way we look at it. the 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 objective and the goal and the where you're going to be at is not anywhere where you think it's going to be. Like again, I thought I would be playing in college, and then I thought, easy, go to the NFL. That's an easy dream and place where I want to be at. I would have no i had no idea that the plan was for me to end up. And taking a 180 and moving into boxing and now for boxing to be a career of mine and something that I'm passionate about and a hobby. And, you know, when I was in that darkness, I would say some random things happened that kind of set me up to do that. Like being on campus at West Virginia and then seeing a flyer for boxing tryouts. I'm like, boxing. Okay. I mean, I love the sport. I used to watch it growing up. Like it wasn't on all the time, but I remember when there was a pay- pay-per-view fight with Mike Tyson, I was there. I remember watching Floyd Mayweather, Prince Nassim Hamed. I, I had watched these Ooh. fights. Prince Nasim. come on, man. One of my favorites of all time. I would watch these, but I was never trained formally in it. I was never like, oh, that's the, I should do that. I saw boxing as this elite pinnacle of athletic prowess. And when I saw that tryout, I showed up. And I fell in love the very first day. I just saw the flyer, showed up. The coach had a workout and had a team. And, you know, I had, you know, I guess been like nine or 10 months removed from playing football. So I was still an athlete. I was still 6'2", 215. Maybe I might've been 220 because I put on some weight after that season of life. And, you know, but I, I, I found a natural knack to box. And I also found myself while training in that, in that room that my mind was here. I'm not thinking about the pain from the past. I'm not thinking about my failures. I'm not worried about anything else. I'm present right now. And that that opened my eyes up in so many ways. So then literally Tuesday, Thursday, I would start training and I was like, oh, this is good. This is great. What happens if I want to get a little better? Like, oh, well, I mean, you can train on other days of the week. You can work with some other coaches. And I just started to ball with it. And like within six months, I competed in my first fight. Went like four and oh, and I was just knocking people out. I ain't gonna lie. I definitely think I was raging off of some anger issues in the first couple fights and I just black out and then have my hand raised like what happened
2: yeah that that's what happened he's he's down he's still down he's dead <laughs> like, uh,
1: I, was like oh, okay. I was like that when i first started yeah. and, you know i was raw i was ugly i think some of, one of my first fights is actually up on youtube right now still um not pretty but I, I was enjoying myself i was having fun and i was finding a purpose in something that i was doing it wasn't the all purpose of everything and i didn't see it as This is my career right now, but it was becoming fun. It was a hobby. It was something that I started doing. And then competing, you're like, oh, this is cool. So I started to compete in amateurs at West Virginia. And then I was part of that team. Started to go out and see some tournaments. I was at West Point a couple of times. Started to get into these national tournaments and boxing just became everything to me. I, I became immersed in it, started studying some of the greats, started watching uh, the the Haglers, the Hearns, the Pacquiao's. I started to actually shift my mindset and go, I was a student of the game for football to a T, that I would watch hours and hours of film to study and to prepare myself for for games or practices even, to like just transfer this skill here. You can see so much more of the sport and understand so much more when you have uh a student's mind to it right i always like to be a student of life and when i was boxing i was like i gotta study i gotta learn see how these people that are great doing and then a implicate it try it test see what it is and that's when i also figured out that i was a southpaw, even though i am right-handed try to say a little like andre ward a little oh. bit you know oh. well that's a problem for a lot of people <laughs> yeah it <laughs> <That's> was a- <laughs> it, it was during yeah. the amateur days yeah. uh and and i'm grateful for that at the same time, competing also taking on a leadership responsibility with the team and training other fighters. And it was just magical. I guess like I'm improving myself. I'm helping other people improve. This is great. Like coaching seems to be something that I can kind of dwell in. And and that was, that was it, bro. I started to go, I started to uh, accumulate certifications. I started to, again, after I graduated, started to put all my energy into coaching and Also, I mean, I still competed on the side here, but I knew where my mind was at. My mind was to help people improve, not just to make me make money or not just for me to become a great fighter. Um, So I really committed myself to being a student of the game and and of the art itself, and then uh, helping people in more than just, again, timing, offense and defense, but strength and conditioning, understanding, training the mind, because again, everything starts from there. So... Um, My career shifted to then being uh, a strength conditioning boxing coach. And I worked at UFC gym and LA boxing over on the East coast. And that was a great experience for me. Um, A working and doing what I love to do, but then also seeing the business side to it and knowing not every person is going to be a professional fighter. A lot of people want to learn how to box and better themselves. And if they're willing to commit and they're willing to make the sacrifice and, and be a student, well, why not take them on? So I started to train dozens, if not hundreds of people over in the East coast. Um, and my hunger just grew an opportunity called for me to come and work here on the East or on the best coast. And I transferred and came over here to UFC gym Torrance. And, uh, that was a great start for me in 2015 to start doing what I do today, which is, uh, not get punched in the face, yeah. <laughs> but still make a lot of money
2: off boxing, and uh, I, I love doing what I do every day, brother. That's amazing, man. Your story is fucking nuts, dude. That was actually not, I did not expect that at all. <laughs> <laughs> should, like as you were telling your story, I was picturing it in my head, and I was getting PTSD through you. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, bro. I was like, sorry. It, was I there? <laughs> you know, it's 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 kind of crazy. Like when I hear what a lot of people go through in order to find. But, and you know you said something very interesting too which i think this is what i really enjoyed about because i started kickboxing what only like three and a half four years ago mm-hmm. right and obviously I, my, my time was split so i was doing it when i could and when i can um, but it was the idea of when you're training a martial arts you are very much present mm-hmm. You, you know why because if you're not you get sucked in the face <laughs> going night night yeah, man. yeah. Mm-hmm. so you're paying attention to this one thing and i think like what i also really liked about martial arts is um, the honesty and yeah. in, in terms of you could talk a big game as much as you want. Once you're in that little cage, the ring, the octagon, whatever it is, let's see if you're really about that fucking life. Yeah. And I, I, I think I kind of romanticized a lot of, I was gullible, right? Because I, yeah. I never trained like that before. So whenever somebody told me like, oh, I trained four or five years boxing, I'm like, oh, this guy's going to be good. <laughs> and then, I, you know, you, you train with them like, you did cardio kickboxing for oh, four years, you relax. know, oh. it's like, and in my mind, I'm like, you know, like it's one of the most honest sports ever. You cannot lie. Mm-hmm. Actually, sports in general are honest. Like you enter into a, a, a ring of competitors, they're going to sniff you out so fucking fast. So easy. You yeah, know, it's so easy. And even for somebody like, for example, there was um one of the things I really, really disliked was, you know, when, when you come to train, especially what, you know, you've seen how we train. We all are just a bunch of friends mm-hmm. too. And we have a couple people who are actual trained fighters that train us, right? Mm-hmm. And the rest, we just follow suit. And we would bring some people on who would talk a big game. And once again, me being a gullible person, I'm bringing these people in like an <laughs> idiot, you know? I'm like, oh, hey, this, my buddy, he says he trained for X amount of years. And then we cool and, and we bring him in. And I'm sitting there shocked. I'm like, you suck. Show up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what did you, you've lied to me for so long. You know, it's terrible. (laughs) I'm like, you're getting your ass beat. You know, and I'm Mm -hmm. like, what? What was all this shit for? What is? What is this bullshit for? You know, leave that shit in Hollywood, man. This is a fucking. There's
1: fucking killers here. You know, real talk. Like once you get into some of the amazing MMA and boxing gyms that are throughout this country, there are some real dogs out there, bro. There are some. There are some dogs that you do not want to get in the ring with, and they'll let you get in the ring with them if you have the credentials or, or you're going to pay the money and, and they'll teach you a lesson free 99 yeah. put you out on your face. A super funny story. I, I think when I came out to LA uh, a couple of years prior to me moving here, 2013, I was still active and amateur. So I still fought here and there. And um, I went to wildcard. I'm like training with one of my friends and it's a sparring day. And then there's pros are in there. I was like, Oh, I mean, let me hop in there. And like, no, we don't got no heavyweights. I'm like, I mean that I'm offended, but but you ain't lying. You ain't lying. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a whole hundred ninety five pounds here, yeah. and then there's like this one little Russian dude. Pop like, you want to go some rounds with him? And I was like, oh yeah. This dude's hundred and fifty four pounds. hundred and fifty four pound, five foot three Russian dude. He hops in the ring with me, and I'm like, All right. his coaches look at me. I was like, go go light on him. You know, take mm-hmm. it easy on him. Don't jab him too hard. I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. I'm a heavyweight. I walk over to this dude. I'm like, oh, let's have some fun, man. Have a good time. Da da da. And he says something to me in Russian. I'm like, "Oh, this nigga don't eat. He don't speak English. <laughs> I'm about to die." I start throwing my jab at him a little bit. The coach is like, "Pull it back a little. Pull it back. That's too hard." I'm like, "All right." He comes in with his overhand. Gah! Overhand right hits me in like the back of my head. I'm like, "Oh my god, Jeez, help me!" What do you mean I can't go hard? How am I going to live through this round? I gotta yeah. keep him at bay. And I just remember, like afterwards, we had good conversations. We did like three rounds. I was like, "This little dude hit like he was 400 pounds." Yeah. And I'm like, unknowing. You 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 don't know until you see it. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that are unassuming that are just you know you can look at them on the outside and not know
2: that they have that dog in them. They have a little killer inside of them. And that's the thing too. Like even something that's non fight related. I remember the first. Uh, Floor seat tickets I ever had was to a Clippers game. I have a friend a friend who works for the Clippers and she hooked it up. I was literally floor seats. There you go. And you know, you're watching it from a TV screen, right? And you see how athletic these people are. And then I see it where I'm on the floor with them in person and I go, mm-hmm. I get it. You guys are not human. This is why this is you're the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching it was a Blake Griffin and mm-hmm. fast break, did a dunk. I was like, did he just walk across the whole court in six steps? Okay, You know, basically, yep. and in my mind too, I'm like, why are these people just getting the fuck out of his way when he's dunking? I was like, you know why? Cause it's like a fucking freight train just flew in the air. Mm -hmm. If you get hit by one of those knees, you're out, you're done, you're dead. Check out your career. (laughs) You're pretty much dead. And I, that was a sobering moment for me where I'm like, oh, it's different from looking at it on the screen and being there in person. They're so fucking fast on the floor. I I couldn't keep my eyes. Couldn't keep up. It was like this. Mm. I'm like, I can't see what's going on. So I wanted to move back more so I could see them work because they were just too quick. I like that. So I was like, "Oh, athletes are different. You they know? are. There are people who do it for fun. There's people who do it for fun, fun, and there's mm-hmm. people that, that are about that fucking yeah. life. There's
1: levels. There's <laughs> levels, and you find out real quick when you get immersed in it and you see, oh, I'm I'm not I'm not cut out for this. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love when I'm just like I played football in high school. Or co- I, me, me, I'm like I played football in college. I was at the Division One school on a full scholarship, which I got the lead at the, the elite." And then I saw some of them cats from Florida that were on my team that ran like four two four three and had like you know everything handed. Dude, these dudes were stacked. They were ripped. They had they had I had wide receivers that could bench like four hundred pounds and squat six. I'm That's like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm, we're on the same team, and I'm not on your level. Yeah, this is why I'm I'm second string, and I see that now. And You see it more, I think, in combat sports than ever. And that's why I'm I'm a huge fan of, and I'm always going to be a fan of combat sports as a whole, boxing, mixed martial arts, jujitsu even now. And one of the worst things you can see is people that don't understand the sport that are just watching it and going, oh man, I would have threw this. Or that guy took you down, man, just get up. Have you ever wrestled or done jujitsu? It is so hard to get a grown man off of you. (laughs) like. It's
2: terrible. That's why when um, I went to the, it was uh, Henry Cejudo versus uh, Mighty Mouse. Oh. It was his last fight at the Dang, UFC. Was good, was I was there one. with Bart and uh, Gio. We all got tickets oh, so dope, and I didn't realize how stupid UFC fans are <laughs> until I was yeah, we are. Here in we are. the crowd and people were screaming, right? Just like, why are you trying to take it to the ground? Just fucking knock him out. Oh, Really? Like. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah, Genius they thing. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, they're, they're not knocking him <laughs> out because they don't want to. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? They can't.
1: Yeah. He's moving his hands and blocking. Yeah. And it's a, a moment of milliseconds and millimeters. And is that's is the game. Like, football is a game of inches, and it certainly is. Combat sports, you can miss a punch by a second or by a half an inch
2: and it can be the difference between you knocking your opponent out or you having to go to five round distance. Yeah, and even the age, like watching Anderson Silva now. I remember I was mm. watching the um, you know, Silva fight his last few fights at the UFC. And then we were I was <laughs> looking at Silva, right? And I said, "Hmm." And the Bart was like, "What are you was like, what are you thinking?" And I'm like, "I think people are misconstruing Silva's skill set for his age. Silva's doing what mm. Silva does. He's just a millisecond slower now." Yes. And so him playing hands down his head yeah. movement because of that millisecond of being slower because of his age mm-hmm. and time always gets everybody. Yeah, He's getting cracked now because it's just, it was literally like when he's slipping these hits, it's just a slight delay yeah. and then he could come with the counter. But and guess what? To. When that time gap is closed now, mm-hmm.
1: he's getting cracked. He has been, man. That's a little, uh, that, that's sad. Don't give me some more, you know, PTSD <laughs> on that one. Because I love Anderson and uh he's one of Goat. my one of my great, greatest greatest fighters of all time. I I still will say I idolize him as, as a fighter and what he's done. But when I watched him fight Izzy and was like, watching, you know, this guy get beat up, like I felt bad. I felt Izzy felt bad. He was like, Man, I'm beating up my 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 mentor, my idol, my hair. Mm-hmm. I'll get that. Anderson is a really cool cat. I got, I've got, i had the pleasure of training with him a few times oh. and hanging out with him here in LA and even going paintballing with him. Um, he's a different type of coach though. Cause when he <laughs> when, when he tries to, when he coaches and says stuff to you, like I gotta show you this floor, I'm mean, this try. And he does, it. sweetest, nicest, coolest guy when he speaks in his Brazilian. Um, but then when he like shows a move, like, he's like, he'll yank on, he'll pull. Yeah. He, he don't have no chill, yeah. he has no chill. And, and Anderson, I'm sorry if you see this brother, I still love you. Um, I just don't want to do any more jujitsu lessons with you. <laughs> he's still Brazilian he's, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, he is. But I learned a lot from him. And I, I don't want to say I got a lot of injuries from him, but I definitely have felt the force of, yeah. of the, that. He's an old man now. He's an old man, but he's still got it. Yeah. He's he still got it, I bro. mean, you look at his kids. Oh, man. <laughs> his, kids are, you know, his kids are great. I've, I've sparred with them and worked with them before. I've, I haven't in like a couple of years, but, but both of them,
2: Gabe and Cal, Cal those, those kids are monsters. These the the younger generation of fighters now are mm-hmm. fucking nuts. They get to have this plethora of knowledge at mm. their fucking fingertips now. So now you have you get to choose what you want to be. Yeah. Right. So like watching his his sons kind of take on what his dad does, mm-hmm. but still take knowledge from other coaches, you're seeing like another potential onset of an Anderson 2.0. Who knows, right? We we don't know what's gonna happen when they're older, if they're gonna still mm. compete but it's kind of like I, there's this other kid named Joseph Brown. Okay. Uh young black kid. Taekwondo like champion but golden gloves boxer. Mm. This kid is disgusting. Ooh. amazing. I'm watching this kid kickbox and I was like, "Dude, amazing." And, and then I saw him box, I was like, "He's he might oh, be he a, a better boxer." Box? Really. I got to show you his account. UFC is going to be calling. Dude, you know? He, that? he might get that contract. He's I give another 5, 6 years, he'll be in the UFC. That's so dope. I love that. I, I cannot wait. I love that. Like man. the next generation of fighters that's coming out, like just watching them is pretty nuts. Like these young mm-hmm. people, they're so more, so much more creative. Mm-hmm. They don't have as much uh, closed walls. Now mm-hmm. they, they see these opportunities, especially in jujitsu. Like these young jujitsu kids, they're phenoms. Like, how did you even think of that? 17, 18 black belts. My son has no choice. He is doing, ju- he has
1: got two, no choice. <laughs> you're doing jujitsu and you're an Eagles fan. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Honestly, that's, that's it. I mean, I'm gonna make sure and hope that he goes to church with us. But this boy, you know, <laughs> uh, you doing jujitsu, really young. Um, I, I I love that you just put that like that. They're not seeing things in a box. Mm-hmm. I think that for so for so long, especially in boxing, there's been a lot of gatekeepers per se, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have been kind of fixed into this fundamental understanding of to improve or to be a world champion. It's road roadwork, pushup setups, sparring. You do mitt work, you do back work, you know, you know, there are so many more fundamental ways to involve growth in a combat sports life. Again, balance, timing, reaction, uh, again, conditioning, muscle and endurance. There's so many other things that you need to pay attention to in order to be great and that it's being shined on in today, especially with knowledge being so vast and being so accessible, um, you can develop as a fighter a lot earlier on now. And then you are not confined to these four or five trainers and these four or five modalities of training. Um, Some of these kids are getting the world's elite training. The best things that they can do is, and then again, a lot of things are even geared towards injury prevention, training their mindset first and how to overcome an obstacle, how to overcome an injury in the middle of the first round or being, you know, not being able to see in one one eye or having to, you know, overcome being in a southpaw position. I, I think we are in an age and a day
2: where we're gonna to continue to see evolution in these athletes in crazier ways. And you know, when you were bringing up the whole thing of you in high school, mm-hmm. just, you know, where your physical conditioning was really the the, the, the fact that that allowed you to level up so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. I, let me tell you something, I hate weight training. <laughs> come on brother! <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. I fucking hate that shit. But listen, I understand mm. the importance of it later on, right? Because when I first started kickboxing, I didn't weight train or do shit at all, right? Mm. I wouldn't. I barely wanted to stretch. I was like, fuck that shit. Stretching is fucking whack. And then lo and behold, like three or four months, in and Nick knows this. Like, oh, what's this little tear I have in my shoulder? Oh, An
1: yeah, injury. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like,
2: why do I keep tearing my fucking shoulder? Mm, you know what gosh. I mean? And then Nick is on my ass about that. He goes, How many times did I tell you? you have to weight train, right? Mm-hmm. It's good for bone density, it's good yeah. for endurance, everything. And I'm just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. You ain't wrong, you ain't wrong. <laughs> you know? I, I'm the same,
1: I used to be the same way and uh, I did not like it, but I love the results from it. And mm-hmm. I understood again, if you put in the hard work now, you're gonna reap from that later on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and strength condition is one of those things that every human being should, not just athletes, all of us should be lifting weights three to four times a week. But we're not, most of us are do yeah. nothing or running maybe do you know i'm just saying just saying i'm all about training and i'm all about putting in the effort but also again i think i i had a little different understanding of it a because i got to see the results from my effort you know in my own growth as an athlete but then i was you know mentored by some strength conditioning coaches and i got to really understand uh the anatomy of the body and the, how to grow and how muscles grow and how you can a- adapt and grow and change in different seasons and you know, I got to credit Ryan Ojeda, Mike Barwis. These guys were really close to me and and really helped me learn. Um, and took me under my wing. I took me under their wing at at some of the lowest moments in my life, and I, I would not be uh, so heavily
2: invested in strength conditioning um, if it wasn't for them. So, and you're you know. you're seeing a lot of these athletes who really do put the time into strength and conditioning. You're, you're seeing like the fruits of their of their labor, mm-hmm. especially like let's go. I mean. It's, it's already passed a few weeks, but there was the Islam, Makachev, and uh, Volkanovsky fight. I'm not saying that because of when this comes out. Of course, of course. But look at... Look at how much the endurance mattered mm. in, in their fight. It yeah. was insane. It was a like high intensity chess battle, bro. Like I, like even now, right? If I want to just, if I'm short on time, I want to get a quick workout. I get the fight camp bag. Yeah, I hit the timer five minutes. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, I look at the time. I'm like, it had to be five minutes, and it's two minutes. And yeah. I'm like, okay, two, how the fuck? Two thirty. You still got plenty <laughs> to go. I'm sitting there just like, somebody stop time. Like somebody's cheating. <laughs> Who the fuck stopped time? How the fuck <laughs> is this? two minutes like i'm dying you know what i mean I'm sorry bro <laughs> i'm just <laughs> glad that you're hitting the
1: bag i'm glad that you're you're still training with fight camp because you know you can train with me for five minutes makes the day but you should be stretching beforehand
2: oh so and after. now like out. stretching is everything so uh I, so I, I fucked up my ankle real bad playing basketball when i was in college and it's just, i i have like maybe 70 percent mobility in it right mm-hmm. because i stretched i got maybe about 80 percent more mobility for knee, i've i've only have like 60% mobility because of the torn meniscus yeah. and i tried to rehab as much as i can but i, I do that. need the surgery now i talked to a doctor he goes it's pretty good but you're going to need surgery if you want to be able to sit on your knee yeah so i was like okay so it was a full bucket tear so we found yeah. that out through mri i understand but the the stretching and the strength conditioning in and of itself already helped me when i was when i was boxing because mm-hmm. You just move better. <laughs> yeah. You, know? like, you move faster, move
1: quicker. Who doesn't want me? who doesn't want me better? That's the whole thing. Yeah. And in order to make progress like that, people oh, you do you do the work. You do the the movements, yes, but you can improve the joints, the muscles, the bones behind the movement to improve on a whole another level. And yeah, like you said earlier, father times undefeated. And we see Anderson, you know, lose and We see maybe even LeBron, but clearly. You can defy it. You can delay it. You can put the effort in now to help the longevity of your life throughout the... So I'm adamant about that. I'm adamant about getting you to do some strength conditioning because I know it's going to benefit those injuries and it's going to benefit you in a whole lot of other ways.
2: Yeah, every day now. So uh, it's... I do... I do a little weight training every day. It's all yes. the shit that I hate too, Which yeah. the reason why I started doing the things that I hate is because of David Goggins. Like this guy, I love it. I take a little percentage of his crazy. I just need a little bit of it, right? And it's the idea of mentally fortifying yourself with the mm. things that you hate that you know that are good for you, right? Yes. Well, yes. Like there's many ways that I could get cardio done, right? But guess what? I hate. I hate running. Mm-hmm. So guess what I'm doing? I'm running now, right? Oh. Cause I'm trying to harden my mind, and it really does help me when I do other things too. Where mm-hmm. the application of doing things that you don't like when it benefits you helps you in all the other things that you needed to uh, improve on, and that. it's been really great. Like even every day, no matter how yes. fucking tired I am, I go into that fucking gym and I have a, a a set list of the things that I have to get done today. Right, stretch for half an hour, hit this back 15 minutes, and it doesn't take a lot of time. Yeah. and even if I don't have that time moment, I have to get it done throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So if if it's going to be Okay, we got those landmine squats in. Um, you have to hit a meeting in about 10 minutes. Cool. Knock in two sets. There you go. Right. And then finish the third set later tonight. You know? I love that mindset, bro. And so, you know, it's it's, it's tough. Like, I'm not going to lie, it's tough. Like, I kind of fucked up. I, you know, this Saturday after the Volkanovsky fight, I thought I was a UFC fighter. <laughs> and then I, and then <laughs> I, I then saw I- the start. And I threw up, <laughs> you know, I you don't like when I got a little, I a little mean, carried away, you know? <laughs> Sometimes it that happens. That's
1: why it's always good to be, you know, motivated, stay relevant, watch some things. Maybe you might, you know know, you might watch a fight and then the next day go, I'm going to go to the boxing gym. But you said it really well, you write it down, you put it in a position where it sucks, but it's going to make me better. And I, I think overcoming and hardening your mind, then it translates to everything in your life. And the moment we stop doing that, that translates to everything in our lives. The moment we get soft, the moment we get weak, the moment we don't hold ourselves accountable and do the responsible things is when we start giving in to temptation a little more. Mm-hmm. It starts it starts getting a whole lot easier to go and to not do anything. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I've done that in my life. I've gone through that season. And once you go through that season enough, you can sometimes come through it and realize, I, I can't do that, G. I, I will not sit back and just not live, you know? And again, everybody goes through a different struggle. Everyone's going through a battle that we might not have any idea about it. So I think there's always a a space and a place to give people grace and we should. And we should be loving to people because their battle might be harder or darker than anyone we've ever gone through. Uh, However, at the end of the day, because we are responsible for our own lives, um, setting that standard and doing the hard things is something that everyone should do. Yeah, it sucks, but you're going to get better. Yeah. yeah, it sucks. It's going to hurt, but the people that are around you are counting on you to do that.
2: Yeah, and my my buddy Matt, he owns his brand, um it used to be called uh Hate Brand, but now it's called Not Dead Yet, and he has <laughs> this uh he does so he was a, a Highlands game competitor, you know. Okay. Um you know, he was an athlete himself, but he has this thing where he always posts he goes, "I he counts the weeks that he has left before he dies, mm. right? And he goes, I, I have a general idea of how many weeks I'm going to live, and I'm going to make sure that I live to my utmost potential every day before this number is done. And so that hearing that, because nobody really wrestles with the idea of mortality until it's mm-hmm. too late. Until it's close, until you see it. Yeah. we 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 have a limited, limited time on this earth. What you do while you have the time here now while you're healthy really matters. It does. Right. Whether it's not only just for yourself, but for the people that you care about around you too. Mm-hmm. You know? And I didn't realize that until like, you know, maybe seven or eight years back, right? It was just a sobering moment of looking at my parents and they were old. Yeah. I was like, oh, time has passed. True. Right. And they're not going to be here forever. And even for, you know, somebody like uh like like my wife, right? Mm-hmm. There might be a time where I pass before she passes before me. Mm. So the time that I have here is very, very important. And I think that kind of motivates you in a different way. So now yes. when you wake up, you wake up with purpose. It goes, okay, what am I gonna do from the moment I open my eyes till I shut my eyes and the next day I started all over again. Making so, the days count, brother. Yeah, and, if, and it feels good. And you know, I think sometimes too, people, people ask the same questions on this podcast. They go, How, what, what motivates you? It's like mm. just life in general. Life. <laughs> This moment right now motivates me. I, I,
1: I, I love that you said that. I got to connect with your boy because me and him seem like we were on the same mindset and the same vibe with that because I, I wake up like that. I, I, I have it tattooed and grained in my, my arm. Again, no excuses, no regrets to not make an excuse and to not live life with regrets. Rather, again, something was painful or hurtful or even damaging. You can use that and learn a lesson from it. And each of us, every single one of us, has been given a different lot in life, but we all had the same exact 86,400 seconds every single day to do what we can do with it. Mm-hmm. You and me and LeBron and Bill Gates and Oprah, we all got the same day. Yeah, we were different lots, different lifestyles, different attributes, but, but there's nothing different about us getting a day. How we utilize it is, is up to us. And I think from a perspective where I used to waste time, uh, and I have wasted seasons of my life
2: and not done my best to maximize my day. I never want to do that ever again. Yeah, and you know, I say it a million times on the podcast. One thing you guys have to understand is that there's a few. One thing guaranteed in life is that you will die, and the other thing is that you never get back is time. Ever. Never. Every second that passes by, there's nothing that you can do ever that'll get you that time back. Mm. It just goes. It life goes on whether you 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 choose to go on with it right. or not. Life will always go on. Dwelling mm-hmm. on things doesn't get anything done. People sometimes get a shit hand dealt to them. Yeah. Right. That's true. And I think, like, for me too, and I, you know, obviously for you, when we dwell on these things, man, like, and then the moment that you snap out of it, what do you think about? Fuck, I wish I would have done more with that time. Yeah. But it's gone now. Right. right. So I could sit there and dwell on that shit, or I could just move the fuck on and go. Exactly. And go. You know? I I do. And
1: uh, I think, you know, life is a great lesson and it teaches us. But we had had to learn it. We had to make the adaptation and step into it. And I want to always encourage people. I want to encourage you and and your listeners and everybody else that you are responsible for you. No one's coming to save you. So if you want to do something in life, you have to do it. Make the necessary sacrifices and steps in your life to plan, pray, prepare, and then execute it. And And if you fail, get up and try that steps again go after it. No one's going to just hand you the job opportunity you want. No one's going to just, you know, say, yeah, I'll marry you. No, you have to go out and if you want to, you want to date that girl, go ask her, step out of your comfort zone and stop being okay, being inside yourself, comfortable and not letting life bother you. Again, if you want something, you go out and do it. And I'm, I'm all about making the opportunity available, but you have to position yourself to have options and to do the best you can do. Because, Again, you can't, there's only so much you can say and blame your parents or your grandparents for the way they set up their lives that impacted you because they're not here. They're not in your moments. They're not doing what you can do to improve your life. So um, I'm never going to blame my parents, my grandparents, or anybody in my life around for what's happening in me.
2: You know. Yeah, and you know the typical typical response that probably I'll, I'll hear from a lot of people who tend to be very pessimistic is, you know, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm going through. It's like that's true, but yeah, you don't know true. what I'm going through either. That's so true, right? But I'm not putting that on you, and you should have put that on me. the The idea that when somebody, <clears throat> I'm not saying that they're checking you per se, but they're giving you perspective, and your response is that, oh, you're minimizing how I feel. No, I'm saying feel how you feel. Yeah, but good. eventually, you got to get the fuck over it, mm. right? Like. I'm telling you, feel how you fucking feel. Right. It is within your right to feel sad when sh- fucked up shit happens, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to deal with it. And it is not my responsibility. It's not your parents' responsibility, anybody else to dig you out of the hole that you're in right now, even mm-hmm. if you didn't dig that hole yourself. Right.
1: right. And a lot of people are there. A lot of people are dealing with the the choices that another person made. And we're in a world where that's understandable. A, a parent makes a messed up decision or moves a family in another place yeah, you're going to have to deal with, with that decision that they made, but that's not every decision in, the, in your life. You can still change. You can still grow. You can still be successful. You can still come from a single parent home. You can still overcome adversity
2: and be great. And, and the only person that's going to do that is you. And I've, I've definitely learned to cut out certain people in the last few years who mm-hmm. have, who always had this rhetoric of, oh, woe is me. Why is my life like this? Even when their life is good mm-hmm. and I can't be around that anymore. Especially now I'm thinking about, you know, people I get closer to and the people that I get. Now, I don't want you to be around these people because mm. you're going to suck the light That'll out pull them. you down, man. Yeah. So I can't have you around anymore. And for them, they're just thinking, see, people leave me. But mm. you take no personal responsibility in the energy that you put out. We don't got to be around for that shit, No, you know?
1: No. There's some people that you can love from a distance. Mm. And and yeah, it's a hard conversation sometimes, especially if you had longevity, if you've had a longer relationship with All somebody, right. but but you see them, again, pulling themselves down, pulling other people down, speaking nonsense. Like those are the type of people that you don't want to have in your life. And I think the breakup is, is hard, but it's a loving thing to be honest to somebody. Even if that conversation will be hurtful to them. Because if you don't say it, no one's going to. (laughs) No one's going to tell this person that they're a terrible person and that they need to change some things unless you bring this up to them. A lot of people, I mean, including myself, you know, we don't ever look in the mirror. We don't see who we truly are. Mm -hmm. We don't take the time to reflect. We don't take the time to understand what ticks, what makes us who we are. And, you know, sometimes sometimes there are some people that you have to cut out around you because they're influencing you in the wrong way.
2: Yeah. And those destructive people will tear you down. And we've, we've, you know, in my, one of my circles, that like, we had to cut this one person out because mm-hmm. this person literally said, as we all confronted this person, it was, and she wanted to, you know, confront us. <clears throat> and it was to the point where everybody had the same story, but this person, uh. and it's like, oh, all of you are crazy. so. Eight people are crazy, but you're the only sane one. Make that make sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. make this make, make that make sense to me. All eight people have the same story, but you. So we're all crazy. So we're all against you. Mm-hmm. Like that makes absolutely no sense. And the person, the, the last straw was when this person was screaming at the top of their lungs, I have done nothing wrong. I have done, no, like a, like repetitively, I have done nothing wrong. I have done, I was like, oh, you're done. That sounds very narcissistic. Very yeah. narcissistic, very uh, just, the the sense of personal responsibility is zero and you are Mm. somebody i cannot be around because apology is not in your blood it is not in your system and it's not something that you could ever do That's sad. so so, you know that person ended up losing all of us and at the end of the day and the funny thing is such a small world so you can hear the stuff that they say about you after right Mm. and it's like okay i hear what you're saying and then people will ask so i had a friend who is a mutual friend of ours, Okay, and he was like, yo, that person said this and this and this about you. It was like, what do you think about that? I was like, that's okay, they're allowed to think that. I was like, I'll say this about this person. I want this person to be happy, because mm. the more happy they are, the less they fuck with us. I love that. When you are satisfied in your own life, you don't try to tear other people down. So I have, I have no ill will towards this person. I want them to do well, so they'll shut the fuck up and be happy, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you got to you gotta wish well upon your loved ones and even wish well upon your enemies. It's yeah, because imagine said. if
2: your enemies are happy, they don't fuck with you because they're happy. They're leaving you alone. Yeah, they leave you the <laughs> fuck alone. And I, I remember when I said that, this person had a light in their head. They go, huh, something's different. How come your story is so different from theirs? I was like, because... One one person is being honest and the other person isn't. Clearly. you know, I was like, "Listen, you do whatever you want, but when we have a conversation, we don't speak about that person mm. because I'm not putting my time and effort to tear this person down when they're already in a shitty ass place. I'm good. That's good. So That's if good. I'm good, I don't gotta shit on somebody who's beneath me. Mm-hmm. Let them let them do their shit. And guess what? The truth always reveals itself. Always. And it has always. And within our group, within the whole everybody else, they started to see because it first started with. Oh, you guys ejected this person. Now you're a terrible person. I'm like, cool. I'll give you guys time. You you sit with that. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to me and apologize after. And everybody came back and apologized. Wow. They go, oh, because you know why? Every time they hung out with that person, guess what they were doing? Oh, Talking shit all the time. And then they would come to me. What do you think? I don't care. I don't care. What do you want to eat? <laughs> I don't care. I just want to know what's on the menu. I'm that's
1: that's me. You know, I'm I'm content and happy where I'm at and I, I don't have time for that I don't have time for people in my life that are going to tear down. And I've I've had to, you know, it's again, you got to do the necessary thing to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones and your inner circles. And, And those tough conversations need to happen. But it's, it's a, it's a loving thing to be honest with somebody before they hurt themselves, before they hurt everyone around them and end up ruining their lives. And then again, sit in that situation where everyone's left them and then they still blame everyone else instead of blaming themselves and seeing oh, I'm the cause of the problem. I'm the one that's responsible here. I think, again, taking self-responsibility, taking ownership of your flaws and the good things you have is a great way to just be real. And not too many of us wanna be real, you know? It's a sad truth, but the more real you are with yourself, the more honest and open
2: and real you can be with everyone else around you. Yeah, and being real too doesn't mean that you're a fucking asshole. Like you can be honest with the people around you with kindness and love, Mm. right? and how you, how you take that on. If people truly are in your circle and they are your good friend, you yeah. should be able to listen to this, right? That's the hard part. Sometimes we just have people who are likable, who want to be your echo chamber. You just want to mm. hear somebody repeat back what you already believe, you know? Yeah. Which when it comes to good things, that's great. But sometimes when you step out of place or you step out of line, you need somebody to be like, hey, chill. The-. Like I, my, my best friend's out in New York, right? Mm. That fool, he, we always check each other all the time. That's good. That's right? a good relationship. We we agree with like 99% of things, but sometimes when we get out of pocket, we go, hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like,
1: I like that. You know, That's children. accountability.
2: Yeah, and we've been with each other through thick and thin. We've gotten into heated arguments. We fought about stupid mm. shit, right? I remember in high school, I once, I pinned this fool's arms to his chest and I socked his arms so they went dead. You know? <laughs> like we've, we've, we've been through some shit together. Right. But because of that honesty, mm-hmm. our friendship is tighter than ever. Like that guy's my brother, you know? Huge. And like I, I I feel sad for people who sometimes don't expect that out of the people around them. You
1: know what Too I mean? Too many people aren't in relationships like that. That I feel like that's a rarity now to see that a long-lasting relationship where you're honest and open with people. I feel like, yeah, I've seen so many relationships that are it's all good. I only talk about the good things or you're hyping somebody up. You know, that doesn't build depth. That doesn't build truth. You don't get to
2: actually know someone. You mm-hmm. don't actually let yourself be known if you're not able to be vulnerable and truthful. Like that. My lady was going through a problem. Not, I'm sorry, not a problem. Let's not say that. She was just kind of reassessing or reevaluating certain, uh, re-evaluating certain friendships with people that she has that I've had a weird feeling about, right? Okay. And, you know, me being her husband, I'm going to speak my truth about it. i be like, hey, I, I dislike it when these people around you do this, this, and that. And then she also expressed her feelings about this. And the, the the topic that I'm talking about that's related to this is she assumed that she had these friends who were really good friends, right? But I said they're not really your friends, and she said this as well because you tell them everything about your life, but they don't share anything about theirs. Mm. So one you, way street, you know, so one way street. So literally, she had a conversation with one of them. They go, okay. Oh, so what are you doing for work? Blah, 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 blah. And she tells her everything about her work or whatever. And they own a business. They go, Oh, what's going on with your business? And this. They go, well, We can't tell you that. She's like, What the fuck? What? You just asked me about my personal life and my work life. I expressed that to you. And then me asking you about yours, I'm out of pocket. Like, what? What are you? How? how? I don't get it. We're friends, right? <laughs> exactly. Are we friends? no yeah. What? Yeah. that's a one way street yeah make that make sense to me yeah it, don't, it don't make sense at mm-hmm. all and so you know I've, I've definitely when those friends come around I'm a little rough with them
1: you know you a real one yeah. that's what I always tell you but you a real one yeah. and, and I respect you for that and I appreciate that. I would expect you to check me if I am come out of pocket or I say some outlandish stuff. Out I here, right?
0: You're
2: around like uh, guys around comics who say things out of pocket 24-7. It's going to be crazy to get me. True, true. <laughs> well, a few of my friends are comics, but but not all of them.
1: Not all of them. <laughs> Listen,
2: i fucked up so many times where like I'll go back home to Sacramento and you know I'm over here around comics and we're joking around a lot. <laughs> and I forget that my mentality is this is the comics room and wow. I go over to regular people and the room is silent and they're just mortified. I'm like, hey, my bad, I forgot. Like I'm around like, normal. This a roast books. session yeah. right now.
1: Like, I wasn't prepared to have my heart <laughs> thrown into a bucket as you roasted me for
2: fun. I, I, I get that. My like, buddy, I, Jason Chenny, this fool just texted me the other day and he just, he always, he always makes a fucking fat joke at me that has me crying, laughing. Like this guy, legit, he was just like, dude, how are all three of your chins doing? And I'm like, bro, I just woke up. <laughs> Like, Doc, it's, for that? it's, it's 8 a.m. in the morning. Why the fuck am I waking up to this? It's the first thing. You know, first thing. This like roast you in the morning. Like, in the morning. You want to go get dinner? I know you already had three of them. Did I <laughs> Let's get the fourth one? And I'm like, just just, just ask me if I want to eat, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is good. I'm glad. You know,
1: I, I don't think I got thick skin like that, though. I couldn't deal with things like that. I, we, we would be scrapped. Hey, put these gloves on, dog. Meet yeah. me in the garage right now. Like, we got to hey,
2: handle this. my hey, that's good, but I'm to knock you out. <laughs> I, give you,
1: you go. Funny.
2: I gave you some cool points for that one. I'll write that one down, but we're going to fight. But I'll tell you this though. I, I really do, when I was out in Hawaii and, I, and I, I I always see people like Polynesians and Hawaiians, like the way they deal with their problems is like, oh, you talk that shit, you got you to gotta pay for it yeah, and then we'll be cool after, mm-hmm. which you don't see that a lot. Like, you see people scrap, and then the next, like, after they knock this guy out, they dab it up. are like, you good? Mm-hmm. We good? All right, respect. Let's get drinks and then move the fuck on. Because oh, there's consequences for this
1: shit. There is. Your actions might have some consequences. <laughs> I'm so happy I'm learning that. My, my wife's a Pacific Islander, so uh, I, I, I'm well aware of the culture.
2: Oh, oh man, oh, I've seen dudes just scrap it out. I've seen it multiple times, man. Mm-hmm. And I just... I'm like, man, in Hawaii, I'm going to have to keep my fucking mouth shut. Like yes. this is, Uh-oh. somebody's going to beat my ass and everybody's a UFC fighter here. We're going to fight and then we're going to have a beer after, I uh, just after you wake up. I'll tell you this, after you knock
1: me out, don't touch me. <laughs> 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 you stay over there, I stay over here. <laughs> we won't have to have those problems. Though. We've already sparred before, so it'll be cool. We already know. We already no, no, understand. No, no.
2: You and I will never fight. <laughs> yeah. Don't say never, man. Come on, don't say never. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a skill and a gap difference between you that's like here and here. I'm sorry, I, but I, you know I you know I know how to work with fighters, man. I know yeah, you're you actually work, very work. very nice to spar, man. And I think like people who are really skilled at what they do, they know who they are, mm-hmm. so they don't have anything to prove. So I feel a lot more safe and comfortable with it. Because even for me, because you know I'm not trained, like I'll have these moments where I'm spazzy, mm-hmm. and the person who's more trained should understand that, like, oh, he's new at this. Let's give him some forgiveness. Always. Except if you're not with that person who does that, then it's just going to be an all out brawl and you don't know what's going to happen. And I've experienced that a couple of times and Mm -hmm. I did not like it. I did not like it at all. And I felt terrible after. And I just, (laughs) because you already know the story with me. You know? And I I did not like it. I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't like the way it felt during and it wasn't fun anymore.
1: I've been there.
2: I've been there before too, brother. And it don't
1: feel feel good when you work with somebody that's trying to prove something. um, But- I've had those seasons and that's my past. Mm-hmm. I don't need to prove nothing to anybody. Yeah. And I am so grateful for this season of my life where I'm at now, where again, I can get in a ring with people and I am i don't got to prove it to anybody. I'm not trying to show out. There's no cameras on. We're here to enjoy the work,
2: have some fun, and I want to help you get better. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. And that's the thing about being a good coach too, right? Which I, I, I felt like, you know, I've, I switched around a lot of coaches in my day just mm-hmm. trying to sample things out. There's the one coach who absolutely knows jack all nothing mm-hmm. and they try to fake the funk with a lot of beginner people which there was a shit ton of that. A I had, lot of that. I had no fucking idea. Got a you know few dollars taken from me, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, um, but thank God I was switching around other places. And I was like, "Oh, you're a liar! You actually don't know anything." Mm. And I looked them up. I'm like, "Oh, where have you trained? Certification? Have you even boxed? None of that. Mm. Get the
1: fuck out of my face!" <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people that can fraudulently put themselves out there, and in the day and age that we're in today, again, all it
2: takes is a website, a few good pictures and then you get somebody like me, and you know, they didn't know what was happening. And then you have other coaches who are not really malleable Mm. and they train everybody the exact same way, even though everybody doesn't have the same attributes. And that was a tough one for me too, where um, like I had a coach who uh, didn't really like the way that I was boxing because I was comfortable. I think I just like long guard. You know what I mean? Depending yeah. on the situation, right? A lot of frames, you know, people are different, right? Yeah. If I have the reach advantage, I'm going to use this. But he do. fucking hated that I was doing this. But I'm like, listen, if I'm 6'1", and you have me sparring this guy that's 5'8", why would I not use my reach? going to stay right here in that jab. Exactly. Right. I'm going to stay here. If he's shelling up, I'm going to use his shell. You <laughs> know what I mean? 24-7. And he hated it. He goes, hands up. I'm like, hands are up, but... <laughs> he's fucking <laughs> his reach is shorter uh, than my why would i let him get close to me yeah, and so yeah. i got really really frustrated and he's just like you know you're not going to get better i'm like i just pieced up your boxer so and we're at the same level but you're telling me that i should have my hands up and get close to him and get in that 50 50 position mm-hmm. with him why oh hands up all the time so you hear that <laughs> boxing coaches
1: all the time you got to have your hands up all the time there, there's. You don't need to have your hands up all the time. There's a reason and a place for it. But yeah, if you are not being a a cookie cutter type of coach and you can be malleable to help people and to be specific and to give them specific protocols, you can help them a lot better and then be more valuable to people. I've always learned that. And that's one yeah. of the things I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still a student in the game. I've been doing this for 20 years now. So uh, I'm excited to continue to grow, to continue to learn and to continue
2: to help people in the day to so. day. I love it, man. And you know, your buddy uh you know uh shane and like i think oh, yeah fight tips maybe fight tips man and that's like it's so crazy that, that whole that whole world because that's where i saw you mm. but then i met you through bart and i actually met shane through bart as well small world a small world man and I, I i used to watch the videos all the time right i couldn't do any of the stuff but i used to watch them all the time and then you know shane said something great it's like you learn the rules to break them mm. right learn the foundation first and then figure out what works well for you afterwards shane's a master brother i miss that guy. We used to put a lot of work in and I'll always
1: credit Shane uh, for a lot of growth for me being a content creator and a coach and how to actually, I thought I was a student. And then me and Shane are hanging out. One of the first times we're kicking it, watching a UFC fight and my man had the notepad out and the pen during the prelims and is taking notes and watching everything like, Shane, you are, you're a psychopath. <laughs> and I love this, bro. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, like, yeah, I was, the Fight Tips years are great. I haven't done a Fight Tips video
2: <laughs> in like five years. Where is Shane? He, I feel like he's all over Shane, the place.
1: Shane, Shane's, uh, Shane's home on the East Coast, making himself happy and enjoying life and still putting out great content. I see him, he still does Fight Tips, man. Come on. You got to check the Fight Tips out, man. But uh, Fight Tips was a, a segue to get me learning and to continually be creating and now being part of Fight Camp. Where I get to train, teach, and coach people all around the world every day. It's yeah, because I was dope.
2: watching his videos the other day, and I was like, "Wait, this is not the same." Because he was doing, he different. was traveling in his van for a bit, so I didn't know yeah. where his home base is anymore. I'm like, "It's not mm-hmm. California for sure." So no. I'm like, "Where the fuck did he go?" My
1: man left the left the West Coast. I don't know. I don't know if he already made that that announcement or anything. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the homie, the homie's no longer hanging out with me on a weekly basis. But he's still doing great. You know, him and the family and Sully, they're crushing it. I'm really proud of him i gotta get out there and visit soon i think we're gonna we're gonna make an east coast trip in like may or something so
2: he's like one of those guys that's like he really lives up to the name of being a true martial artist shane's a real <laughs> one i mean
1: like i say i say you're a real one but but also shane is in that category as well for people that i know like and trust and have been around them enough and seen their expertise their care to the minute details. And, and he's a, he's a master craftsman. What yeah, does, I
2: when I first met him, I said one thing to him. I was like, hey man, so you know, when you train, it's like, how do you stay fit all the way, all, all year round? And he's like, well, if I'm a martial artist and my body's my temple, I'm going to take care of it. I was like, well, thank mm-hmm. you. I feel like a piece of shit now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, well, I feel like trash. Thank you for that. <laughs> like, he's, a, he's a great man. He yeah. saying that as I'm fucking,
1: <laughs> in an out burger in my head. Oh, um, I see what you're saying. <laughs> the body's a temple, gotta, gotta respect it. But In-N-Out Burger is great, bro. Yeah. Let's, be Let's be real. Let's be real. In-N-Out Burger is great. Oh, it's fine. When people say In-N-Out is not good, you'd fucking tripping, dude. Trash. <laughs> These people's opinions, which you're entitled to them, that's trash. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm entitled to my
2: opinion about your opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is that, yeah. Yeah, that's how I should go. I'll say this. Like, you could say that it's not your favorite burger. but It's not my favorite burger. It's a good burger. It's not
1: my favorite. I, there's a lot of burger spots in LA that yeah. I, I hit up. Anyway. Uh, we could be on a three hour podcast yeah. talking about burgers, dog.
2: <laughs> well, guys, uh you. fuck. That wraps up this episode of the Genius Brain Podcast. PJ, where, where can they find you? Oh man, you guys can find me at
1: Train With PJ on all social media platforms. Also, you can train with me with Fight Camp. So join fightcamp.com. And if you want to listen to my podcast, check out the BDE podcast on Spotify. Let's go. Uh Genius.
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day.